Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to AZ Brandcast, where we talk about all sorts of awesome people and the power of brand and how to build great brands in our remarkable state of Arizona. I'm Mike Jones, your co-host with Chris Stadler. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Doing doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, not least because my friend and compatriot in the conscious capitalism space, although he does a lot more than I do, a lot more, as we'll get to in conscious capitalism and making that a thing (laughs) is in the studio today or something like that or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really excited that Brian Moore is, is coming on the show today. This has been a long time coming. It's uh, probably, we should have done this sooner. Well, you know, we get to see each other every single day. We work in the same office. So we, we have been doing this every single day. It's just, you know, now we're doing it with microphones and headphones. I wish we had had these microphones on the airplane. Uh, from the conference last year. Yeah, that, that would have been, been really something. fun. Yeah, that was an engaging conversation. Of course, there were parts of that conversation we'd probably have to edit out. But, yeah, 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 for sure. Definitely wouldn't meet yeah. the uh, PG-13 rating of yeah. the show. Although the sure. comments from the guy next to you would have been just gold. Yeah, those would have been killer. Yeah. You know, yeah. I noticed when you guys kicked off the show, uh, you made some reference to you know speaking to all kinds of great people. And so clearly you've run out of guests because you've lowered the bar <laughs> you quite, us, Chris. quite low on this Wednesday. It is Wednesday, right? It is a Wednesday. Yeah. So, you know, hump day. Like, <laughs> let's just really nope. lower our standards for one nope. day. The That's, real guests couldn't make it. Is that what is not today. the case. <laughs> so, Brian, um, I'll do a little introduction for you because uh, I think people might want to know a little bit more if they don't already know you. You are currently president of Conscious Capitalism, the Arizona chapter. That is correct. And then you've got uh, a whole bunch of involvement with Conscious Capitalism as a movement in terms of the more lo- like larger global movement as yep. well. Yep. Um, so you are, let me find it here. You're also a member of the board of directors. That is, is that correct. That is correct. For that, Conscious Capitalism yeah. Incorporated. Yep. Um, and then a little bit of history. Um, so you started, well, I don't know if you started, but um You've been working in, for lack of a better term, staffing and kind of HR people, putting people into jobs for a while now. How did that get started? So right at the end of 1999, Mm -hmm. way back then. So good Lord, that's 20 years ago, (laughs) which just doesn't seem like it's that long ago. Time flies. But it is. Yeah. I was wrapping up my career in the financial services space Mm -hmm. and I just I needed to do something different. And as luck would have it, I was able to find my way to be one of the first handful of employees at a job board known as jobbing.com. And lucky enough, because of the time I got there to have been included in the founding member group, there's a group of nine of us that were there early enough to really help with the, you know, those early stages of growth. That experience, I was there about 11 years and, and that 11 years coming from financial services to then moving into this recruitment world, it just changed the entire trajectory of my Mm -hmm. career and the way I thought about business. Financial services, not that there's anything wrong with it. I was working for Bank One at the time. You know, huge organization, just massive. And I was one of a gazillion people and didn't really understand the power of values, the power of culture, the power of purpose until I got to a very small, high growth company like Jobbing. And could see firsthand the impact that 
hiring people with a common set of values who were going to add and strengthen the culture that we were trying to build. Uh, I just, I, I had no knowledge that that even existed. And so that just set me off on this path that I've been on for the last 20 years again. <laughs> so 11 years of jobbing, a little over a year at uh, PF Chang's and Payway, mm-hmm. uh, leading talent acquisition there. And then in March of no 2000, small feet. No, no. And oh man, that's a whole nother story that <laughs> if, if we get to it, we certainly can. And then in March of 2012, uh, partnered up with uh, an old friend, Max Hansen, and we started what became the first ever purpose-based leadership search firm called Y Scouts. Mm. And uh, so that's now seven years old. Um, so yeah, so I've been in the, in some form of talent acquisition, recruiting. That sounds so much better for than my 20 years than staffing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's staffing, staffing. <laughs> it sounds like you're from Chicago. They're staffing <laughs> hot dogs, hot dogs. Yeah. yeah you it's, lost your Arizona accent there for a second. I, did, yeah, totally. I lost it. That's, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Um, that's awesome. Brian. Yeah. So it's been, it's been, it's, what's interesting as I look back at that 20 years, the, the, the piece about business that I think is the most often ignored and the biggest untapped resource is the power of, of human beings, the power mm-hmm. of humanity. You know, yep. we've explored just about every other frontier to the ends of the earth. And yet the piece we still continue to overlook or recognize that has so much latent potential is the power of what's inside all of us. And that's a really, really hard thing to measure. And as a result of, I believe, the inability to measure it, it becomes that much more hard to manage. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, most organizations tend to just either minimize or shy away from the value that's sitting in their offices inside of their people that could be tapped. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is such a key part of kind of the conscious capitalism concept that conscious businesses are first about people. And kind of leading them to that higher purpose and really taking care of all of those stakeholders, which is awesome because uh, Segway, <laughs> our sponsor of this show is Conscious Capitalism Arizona Chapter. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. And I'm saying that as my best Scott McIntosh. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep working on that impersonation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't mastered Scott. I can talk like Scott, not in terms of voice, but I can yeah. use my hands a lot. Okay. And, and, yeah. And that is a key very, part it of is. that yeah. impersonation. very animated. Yes. yes. Yet to sound like Scott. Yeah. That would be a feat. Yeah. Well, no, Chris, you want to tell everybody. Do a little call out for Conscious Capitalism yeah, Arizona? Yeah. yeah. So, so. This local association is on a mission to share with the whole world how doing good, doing good in your business is just good business. This local chapter of Conscious Capitalism Incorporated hosts tons of local events and provides resources for business leaders to instill a higher purpose in their company and engage all their stakeholders. Of note is the upcoming Conscious Capitalism International Conference in April. Wow, how'd you guys get that in Arizona? We'll ask you that later. Mm. (laughs) This year, it'll be right here in our backyard in Phoenix, and we'll draw over a 1,000 people from both Arizona and across the world. And that's not an exaggeration. This is a phenomenal event to learn a ton more about conscious capitalism, be inspired to do good in your business, and connect with like-minded conscious business leaders from all over the world. Be sure to check out details and register at ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com. ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com. I'm really excited about this conference. I'm excited know, it's going to be here. It's super cool. Obviously. It's such a wonderful I had a dream. It's a great conference. Guys, I had a dream. I yeah. can tell you that I came in 
I oh, I thought you were about to launch into was... your best Dr. Martin Luther King <laughs> no, Jr. No, no, no. This whole show is um, going to be about impersonations. It's going to be all in the Arizona <laughs> accent, which I don't know. Um, the uh, So I had, I had a dream that I showed up and it was like the day of the conference and I was just like wearing like normal stuff and I wasn't prepared and I was like not not ready at all. And then I was, I was embarrassed. So I was like, Mike, I'm not ready to go to the conference. I can't go today. I'm just totally forgot because you were in regular clothes yeah well i don't know i don't know what it was It was just really embarrassing because you know how dreams are yeah and then um but it was like going to school like you know you dream you go to school without any clothes on you know it's like one of those like dreams (laughs) anyway so so i'm taking that kind of conference so i'm taking this very seriously thinking maybe we should divert whatever we were planning on talking about and chris i think (laughs) you should lie down yeah dream psychology yeah we kind of need to pick this apart yeah going to school with no no clothes or no shirt i've never had that dream you made it sound like wait you've never had that dream no oh we need to take a poll all right sound engineer saying yes she's had that dream come on everybody's had that dream right i don't think i've I, i don't have those kind of dreams i don't have embarrassment dreams i have fear dreams okay like People want to kill me, kind of dreams. Yeah, I've had yeah. those. This I've is had our icebreaker now. <laughs> I've had those. But... What's your best unconscious moment? Mariah, our designer, had a dream that you and I were both trying to kill her. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah. No, it, it was... must have been a stressful week. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. It's always what mine are. <laughs> it's always like, what's going on in real life? Like, Stress. I feel like she likes us. I don't know. I, yeah. Ugh. Well, if you guys want to talk to me about that later, I need- <laughs> had an opportunity to do some work with Mariah yeah. on the website. Yeah, right guys some insight. We might need some mediation. Yeah, but yeah. but our but our real icebreaker though, a real, real icebreaker, um, as fun as that was, is uh, <laughs> all right. So conscious capitalism is a topic, right? So, um, what's you guys' favorite story about unconscious capitalism? Subconscious, anti-conscious. Just straight up unconscious, Un, bad, like bad, bad capitalism. capitalism, crony capitalism. Oh, there crony you go. capitalism. Yeah. How, how, how about crapitalism? Crapitalism. Yeah, I like it. Is that a your next book, you Brian? That? No, that's uh, that that that's been a, a slang term that's been floating around the conscious capitalism world for years. I'd love to take credit for it. But Name it, claim it. It's not that's mine. Right. Uh, although interestingly it hasn't been on a podcast before that's uh yeah maybe not (laughs) although i do believe that most people today would likely associate their view of capitalism Mm -hmm. as capitalism as they see and we can go through a whole host of issues but to your question what is my uh, favorite or you know uh, what 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 story of unconscious capitalism comes to mind and I'll go with the recency effect. This past weekend or two weekends ago, I watched the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos documentary that is on HBO. I think it's on HBO. And it was, it was, I'm um, clearly there's more to the story, right? Mm-hmm. The way the doc, if you, have you guys seen it? So, so, seen so it. tell everybody that. I've just been the following the, the story. story so the, yeah, the gist of it for, for anybody out there that has no idea who Theranos was and Elizabeth Holmes, uh, it's an organization that was on a path to revolutionize the blood testing side of the healthcare business. And right now, you know, Sonora Quest and some of these other uh, fairly large labs have a pretty dominant share of the market. And in order to get your blood drawn, you need to get a doctor's uh, note, if you will, or a, a prescription from the doc to go have that done. We can't just walk in off the street and have our blood drawn. And they wanted to democratize access to uh, your labs so that you could walk into a Walgreens or any other sort of drugstore. And instead of having a, 
a needle stuck in your arm, you could do it through a pinprick in your finger. Mm-hmm. And they had this nanotainer is what they called it, it's essentially a tiny test tube that collected a drop of blood. And from that, they had a machine they referred to as Edison that could perform literally hundreds of blood tests, everything from syphilis to uh, God knows what else, herpes. I mean, you name it, all kinds of stuff. I don't know why those diseases came to mind, but <laughs> maybe I need the, the light couches on, on the over couch. there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, they were on a path to do that and raised, I think it was almost a billion dollars yep. in, in investment. And over the course of what looked to be about a seven to 10 year period, mm-hmm. not only blew through all that money, but as the documentary shares, never were they really on a path to do this? The Edison machine never worked and 90 plus percent of the blood tests that they ran, they ran on machines that were the exact same, more traditional machines that Sonora Quest and some of the other yep. larger uh, labs had been using. So the commercial, commercially successful machines that everybody else was using. They were outsourcing it. Yeah, exactly. Because their technology didn't, didn't actually work. do what they said it was. Not at all. So, so did, they, did they initially think it would work? And then yeah. they just like, and they just realized it couldn't, but they just like, yeah, it's too late now. <laughs> I, Let's double I down. I feel like that's <laughs> yeah. probably closer to the reality. Yep. I think the intent was, was pure. Yeah. I really do. I do. It, it's hard to say, right? I'm not Elizabeth Holmes. I'm not Sonny. I think his last name is Baldwani or something like that. The president and the two of them, uh, as the documentary portrays were pretty close, appeared to be in cahoots. And the only two that were attempting to uh, continue to perpetuate what amounted to a whole lot of lies and fraud. Yep. And they had a big splash here in Arizona. They had a huge facility over at Sky Song for a period of time, hired mm-hmm. hundreds of people. They had a big national partnership that they signed with Walgreens. I mean, it was a it was a really yeah. big deal. And then they about a year ago, traction. yeah, about a year, year and a half ago, the whole thing completely yep. fell apart and they dissolved. And I, there's lawsuits and all kinds of craziness going on. Yeah. But I guess the, the if there is a short answer to the question at this point, the my favorite. I don't know if it's a favorite. It's just the most recent of two leaders that I think had good intent at the start and maybe still had it at the end. But wow, did one bad decision lead to covering up another bad decision, another bad decision. And, you know, they're playing with people's lives. And that's yeah. it, it. The documentary didn't paint a glorious picture of the way the two of them led the, the business. It was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was kind of a bummer. Mm. Yeah. It, I don't know. From my very limited external perspective, it felt very much like very early on, it was a lot of like you're convincing these investors that your technology, which you haven't developed yet, Mm -hmm. right, is going to work. I mean, I don't know of any, you know, early stage tech startup who doesn't have that as like a kind of this hurdle you have to jump. Like, how do you get people to invest in you and have confidence in you that you're going to do what you say you're going to do when you haven't done it yet, right? No one's built it yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, there might be something in there of like maybe even early on they were lying about some of the like prototypes and some of the early, early science that they were working on and whether or not that was actually legit. But it's like, yeah, I could see that really happening with almost any technology company Mm -hmm. saying, hey, we're developing something brand new. It doesn't exist yet. Yeah. We need funding in order to make that happen. We think it will. Here's why. You know, we've got great talent pulled together and we've got, you know, maybe some data and maybe some kind of prototype. And it's like this should be doable given enough money and enough time. 
it's like you need a moral moral philosophy that basically says, okay, at this point, we're going to stop, you know, like at some point we're going to stop and we're not going to push because pushing forward would mean yep. we're telling, we're being too optimistic, right? And I think that's the hard part is that yep. there's a big gray area. Like, is it optimism or is it lying? Like, when does it move from one to the other, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think in their case, they never really ask those questions. I mean, the only, the only way you, it feels like, so, so when I worked at an engineering lab, right, we worked on government grants. One of them was, uh, so there's like a three stage process, proof of concept, which Mm -hmm. is you don't make anything, not a prototype, nothing. It's just concept. Basically Mm -hmm. you say, Hey, this seems like it'll work on paper. Right. And then you prototype. And then after that you commercialize. And so that's like an STTR process. I think it seems like you could, it seems like you would almost have to have like deadlines, like, you know, like check-ins that you had to prove something that would kind of help that not to happen. Right. Cause you can lie a little bit, but until your next checkpoint, yeah. like investors are going to be kind of, at least they're going to get accurate information at each checkpoint. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like you wonder like from the investor's side, like how much did they push for return on their investment? I never really asked those questions either. Right. Like maybe they didn't <laughs> want to know. Maybe they're just like, this is a great idea, but we need to see return. So just make it happen. Or is it everyone that's just their part of their portfolio that they're like, well, this is the risky part and we're just not going to worry about it. We're going to consider it lost. And if it, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a much deeper story there. Yeah. It's fascinating. I would encourage everyone if they are interested at all in checking out the documentary, I think it's called out for blood. Okay. That's, it's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it, it definitely is a very one-sided yeah. Uh, version of the story. And, and you know what? I, who am, I, I didn't live it. I wasn't there. I wasn't employed there. I wasn't an investor. I watched the documentary and of course heard about it And when they came into Arizona and then unfortunately left. It certainly made news. Yeah. But to go behind the scenes and the way this thing was filmed and it's coming right from the voice of many of the employees who had been there the majority of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how the original story broke was there was a, there was a whistleblower. Whistleblower yep. and then the yep. There was a media outlet that picked it up. Yep. So. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal, I think it yeah. was, if my memory serves. But it was pretty, a very fascinating story. Yeah. And, uh, definitely, you know, when those stories grab the national headlines and that's mm-hmm. what the majority of people see, yep. well, it's no wonder they're losing confidence and faith in the capitalistic system. Yep. Uh, but that's one company, right? Yep. And there are hundreds of thousands of companies that are operating every day that never make the news, ever. Yep. Because they're not doing anything bad and they're doing a lot of really, really good things. But unfortunately, as we all know, good things don't sell advertising. And so why report on that? Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is just such a <clears throat> sad state of affairs. Yeah. But that's, yeah. again, I may need to get on the couch. That's, uh, <laughs> that's just that's so a, frustrating. So, so, so Mike, what's your, what's your story? Do you have? Yeah, I was, I was trying to pick one. I, I don't know if I have one that I want to share publicly. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've had, you know, we've been in business for 10 years and I, of course, had we've had clients that you're like, nah, was not very conscious, right? Uh, right. Just some of their behavior. But I don't know. I don't know if I want to get into that. Um, It feels a little too close to home. And I think from an external perspective, I mean, there's great ones. There's, you know, Volkswagen's big, you know, lie, their diesel emissions fraud that they pulled. That was an interesting case of, I think, a company that at heart actually has some level of consciousness deep, deep within their corporate structure. Um, it's just been so buried um, 
because they've rebounded really well from that. And I think mm. it's a good case of you can make mistakes as a, as a business, but if you have some level of like conscious kind of capitalism ethos somewhere, it, it provides an opportunity to actually say, look, we've made a mistake. We're not, we're going to own it. We're going to take care of it. Uh, and we're going to move forward and we continue to, to stand on the values that really got us going in the first place. Um, I think Wells Fargo is an interesting one right now um, of them trying to rebound from some major cultural issues, not least being, you know, selling a ton of fraudulent accounts, <laughs> starting up fraudulent accounts in order to boost their numbers internally. And so many of those are really just like reflections of cultural issues where that really stem from leadership that maybe sets up a good vision in place, but doesn't put in place kind of the values and the purpose structure that maintains a level of like corporate responsibility to all the stakeholders. I think it's the like, compensation systems too exactly. play such a huge part in that. So you can have all the values in the yep. world and have an amazing purpose. Yet if your compensation structures aren't aligned exactly. to reward the behaviors mm. that demonstrate what you want in terms of values, Yep. Well, then you get the Wells Fargo scenarios where you've got a whole bunch of, you know, managers that are trying to hit numbers yep. because their compensation is directly related to if I hit these numbers, I make more money and yep. you're, you incent for the behavior you want. And yeah. that's a slippery slope. That's that's but, what I was just thinking. I mean, it's the whole like, you know, you say one thing, but then you measure something totally different, yeah. you know, and it's like you get what you measure. Right? Yeah. Yep. yep. <clears throat> like, yep. It's like yep. business 101. Something yeah. Like that. Right should back be. to should be yeah. business one hundred and one. <laughs> right back to you know what we started talking about at the beginning because you can't measure what's inside someone's heart and soul mm -hmm. and this reservoir of discretionary effort that all of us can bring. How do you tap into that? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't measure it. Yep. So you either need to inspire people to bring it mm. and lead them towards some cause greater than themselves. Of course, you got to pay them enough so that they can sure. maintain their basic living expenses. And we've all heard this, uh, the statistic, whatever the number is, $72,000, like is some magic number that as soon as you right. make that. And listen, there's a lot of people in the world that aren't making that. So I'm not trying to. Uh, yeah, and it's, right. that's an average. Yeah, ma make light of it. But as soon as you get past whatever that threshold is for you, yep. you know, the extra dollars are nice, but it's not what's incenting you to bring that reservoir of discretionary effort that you carry. It's, it's something <clears throat> far more intrinsic than it is extrinsic. So, so that goes to my, my story of unconscious capitalism. So I was, uh, went to work for a small company that sold, uh, sold stuff online. Right. And, uh, we started meeting another guy who were kind of like, we're kind of customer service inside sales a little bit. We helped with orders and we had so many, so many mistakes in orders and we just didn't know why. So we were always fixing things and people didn't get their stuff shipped to them. And we we're always fixing that. And then, um, and then, we uh, we started seeing that people were getting double charged on their cards, like customers. And after a couple of times of this happening, the the owners just didn't really seem like that surprised by it or that interested in like doing anything to fix it. And so, you know, at some point you're like, you don't seem sorry. <laughs> you know, you don't seem like you like it almost seems like you are doing this on purpose, you know, because people will call back and say, hey, I got double charge and we would fix it. But like, what about all those other people who didn't notice? Right. So they're probably making a lot of money based on just double charging people. And so um, uh, 
the unceremonious way that I got fired um, is for another podcast, but uh, it's an interesting <laughs> story. <laughs> oh! And so, hold uh, out on us, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Save that oh, one. That's good. So anyway, it's uh, equal part incompetence on my part is <laughs> them hearing what they needed to hear, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, um, but, but that kind of goes to kind of what you're talking about. Um, there was no way. So, so you're talking about how do you measure what, what's in someone's heart? Well, I could start to see behavior on their part that I didn't have to measure anything. I didn't have to be able to see, you know, they didn't, nobody had to claim in some memo that I w- happened upon that, oh, we're doing this on purpose. Like I could tell from their character after a while, right? I could start to see it and how they acted that they didn't really care about other people, you know? And so it was almost like the culture it was kind of like a reverse cultural situation where I wasn't the leader me and Joey, this, my cohort, you know, we weren't the leaders, but we were clearly the ones who cared most about, you know, doing the right thing. And so it was kind of a reversal. Whereas if the leadership cares so much, they're going to start noticing if you create that culture correctly, right? You're going to start noticing people that don't fit and don't maybe aren't, aren't, you know, going to do the right thing. For, yeah. For it's hard. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard. I, I, you look at a Volkswagen or a Wells Fargo, uh, it's really just a very few bad apples. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's thousands of employees at both of these companies. It's most of them are great. Yep. 90, how do 90, they get emboldened? You yeah. know, like, like, like what, what little ecosystem, what little uh, yeah. skunk works are they in where they're separated from the, you know, to where they, from the can, rest of it, they get emboldened. They yeah. think they can hide this. Yeah. It's know. interesting. I mean, there's a premise of like, and I think this is probably part of that. And I'd love to hear your perspective too, Brian, because I think you've got, obviously much deeper experience than I do, but, um, in what, uh, well, just in the way, the way that companies manage talent, right. The way they manage people. And I think most companies, especially at that scale, right. You get to that big, the really only intrinsic measurement or metric is the numbers, right? It's the sales. It's maintaining the sustainability of the company itself. You, and, you mean the extrinsic? Yeah, the extrinsic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so everything is measured on that. Every behavior, every every decision that an employee makes is ultimately just measured on short-term gains and losses. Yeah. I mean, Versus, that's a, that is a, it's a sweeping generalization that tends to sweeping, hold true. Yep. Sweeping. Yeah, yeah. And I would say it's probably more indicative of larger companies. A hundred percent. Where the pressure to maintain sustainability yep. is yep. so incredibly huge. Yep. Growth cool. at all costs. Yeah. And where it's measured at a quarter to quarter basis. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which kind of gets to this like larger like topic of like one, I think one of the really cool and interesting things about a conscious capitalism perspective is that it really emphasizes the long-term viability of the business rather than just short-term gains. Yep. Mm, yep. And instead of measuring at the quarterly basis or, you know, whatever the, the shareholders really want to get out of it, it's more looking at, no, let's look at these long-term objectives that really honestly match where management is at because yeah. management in these companies really isn't, really doesn't want to be focused on short-term 90-day cycles. They want to be focused on what's going to move the needle in five to 10 years and have dramatic impact on all of their stakeholders. Yep. Mike, it's almost like you saw these questions in advance. Yeah, almost. Because I'm looking at question three and I'm, yeah. yeah. Question three is a question three. Like anybody (laughs) cares which question it is. All right. So I'd love to hear your perspective. audience, just so you know. uh, Yeah. Why is a (laughs) conscious capitalism, why why is it so important right now? What 
What is this relevance today? You know, it's, it's, I think there's a confluence of factors that are pointing to the relevance, the importance of this thing continuing to, to grow and strengthen the, I'll, I'll use the growing excitement and momentum around competing economic models like mm-hmm. socialism or versions of socialism. And I think by and large, people who are supportive of a more socialistic system are perhaps not supportive of socialism. They're just sick of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And to me, it goes to a lack of understanding at what capitalism has done. Mm-hmm. And it's not without its flaws. I don't think anybody, any hardcore capitalist, I'd be hard pressed to find anyone that's going to argue that it, it is flawless. It's clearly not. It, we have issues. We have issues that need to be solved. The solution to it, though, to me, lies in the system that's already been built. So we, we now need to lift it up to a higher point a higher place. We need leaders who are going to lead from a different level. We need an orientation around, well, there are groups of people that the business relies on other than the investors or the shareholders or the mm-hmm. owners that are also important. And Mike, to your point, there's an emphasis that, man, yeah, you know, given the speed and rate of change, we better start thinking longer term, not just in terms of, you know, three month chunks. And I think we all know, and Drucker said it best that, you know, culture Culture can't eat strategy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever the, I've heard it, uh, you know, quoted a number of different ways. I I prefer brunch. Yeah, there you go. So culture (laughs) eats strategy for brunch. So now now there's a fourth option. If we don't as capitalists work to not only preserve the system, but also elevate it to what it's capable of, you know, I do, I'm a bit paranoid that competing systems are going to gain momentum, popularity, and adoption. And all of a sudden, all of this amazing freedom and democracy we have to be innovators, to be creators, to be entrepreneurs, to see an opportunity and make that opportunity come to life with few barriers to entry to do that. All of a sudden, all of that spirit of humanness gets stifled because there's some central body, whether it's a government or whatever it is, that's going to determine the equal distribution of what everyone gets of output, Mm. input and output. And to me, that's the complete absence of freedom. Mm. Socialism has been tried often uh, and it hasn't worked ever. And, you know, it's fascinating. Um, And I think it's, it's more people are really upset and just fed up with how, inequitable the capitalistic system appears to be working and clearly there's there's issues there's some big issues we need to deal with Mm. yet let's not throw the system away it has done so much good for the human race well i think that i mean when i look at communism and capitalism i feel like or socialism capitalism it seems like there's one that's made that accommodates for human nature right capitalism at least will tolerate um it, it, it can still function when there's evil and, st- and people basically just say, well, we're not going to buy from you anymore. Once they figure it out, right. it, it might not happen right now, yep. but at least, it, you know, people have the freedom to move from here to there and vote with their dollars. And um, I just feel like socialism doesn't really allow that kind of like it just assumes people are good, you know. And then in some systems like I think in, in the Soviet Union, didn't they just um, they just kill everybody who wasn't uh, who didn't fit the model. And so. In, in this kind of like social 
Darwinism, you know, it's like, well, who, who survives is going to be the people who can, you know, it's just like excuse after excuse, yeah, you know, but I mean, at least with, 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 I mean, just to tie it back, uh, at least with capitalism, you know, there's this, there, uh, there's a chance to prove yourself. Yep. A good name will get rewarded. Yep. Right. Yep. And I'm tying that back into branding right now because, yep. um, you know, I feel like what we're talking about is branding is branding and, and, and conscious capitalism work hand in hand because a brand is basically me saying, I'm going to make this promise, right? I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing, make this promise and I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to fulfill my claim or I'm not going to fulfill my claim, but you're going to know because I've made this promise publicly. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. Well, and there's, we always talk about, you know, the heart of brand is really authentic identity, right? Mm-hmm. Like really being able to express as an organization or as an individual, the core essence of who you are in the marketplace and saying, Hey, if we're true to who we are, the right people will be attracted to that. Mm-hmm. And we'll become our customers, become our advocates, become our friends and fans. And I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't know that I'm no deep scholar on capitalism versus socialism, but in my limited view, what I have seen, what I have read um, as a closet historian, uh, <laughs> or at least history lover, socialism and, and the strains of socialism that are out there don't produce opportunity for authentic identity, mm-hmm. right? the best case for people to best express themselves is through a capitalistic society that says you're free to act and the marketplace will determine uh, whether that's a viable commercial option or not. Yep. Right. I mean, you even look at some of like the most profound moments in, in human history of art and the creation of ideas. You think of the Renaissance and what was that really founded on? It was founded on one of the, one of the most fundamental economic revolutions that the world has ever seen based primarily around how to bank, you know, these enormously rich families in Italy who are uh, vying for power through their economic means. They're not waging, well, some of them did wage actual war on each other. (laughs) Uh, And this is where, you know, like capitalism and I think the state government can get a little convoluted. And that's probably where we see a lot of challenges. But they personally bankrolled some of the biggest names in, in the Renaissance. You know, you think of Michael, Michelangelo or, or Da Vinci. Like those, those are two guys who would not have been able to produce the enormous amount of ideas and concepts and art that they were able to produce without being fully bankrolled by essentially capitalists. I mean, they wouldn't have been called capitalists then. Capitalism wasn't defined yet. But they were probably the closest thing you could get in kind of post-feudal uh, like Europe. You think of somebody like Edison, right? Um, again, bankrolled by Carnegie, I believe. I think it was Carnegie, hmm. who was his patron, right? He right. really bankrolled and they were in business together. And uh, that was his financial bank that allowed him to do so much of the research and development that produced, you know, some of the biggest inventions that we've seen in the last like 150 years hmm. that really revolutionized a lot of our, our living, right? You know, somebody would have come up with a light bulb, but certainly it came faster probably because of that. Yeah. And those are the kinds of things I look at where like innovation really is not possible unless people are able to freely express themselves yep. and, and chase ideas. Yep. And I just don't, just don't see that happening under, under, you know, especially like strict socialist, like, like rules. Yeah. Right? Why, why would you, why, why, why put forth the effort? Yeah. I mean, anybody who's ever tried to start a business of any kind, big or small. It's hard. Yeah. 
That's an understatement. Yeah. Who, who, who would go through that grind <laughs> if at the end of it, whatever it is you do that's successful is just going to be equally spread to everybody? Like what, what for? Mm-hmm. There's, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And you still can't find toilet paper. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no matter how hard you work. <laughs> it's cra- it's yeah. crazy. So I think, yeah, I mean, so- to, to me, capitalism is absolutely an expression of, of the human spirit. Yep. So, but I, let me, let me, let me pull your feet to the fire here. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Hard, hard hitting journalism. Hardball with right. Chris Stadler. Right. Isn't, isn't conscious capitalism just a sneaky way of selling socialism? The Trojan horse for socialism. <laughs> You know, it's, is, it's all a conscious business. Based on the last five minutes, I'd say so. Yeah. Greed, greed is good, right? Yeah, right. it's so interesting that – so those two words together, conscious and capitalism, is – it catches – you know, if you've never heard it before, it, it, it can be very confusing, off-putting, noxious. Like it's just those two words that don't go together. And I think it, in some ways that's the beauty of the term is it actually stops – and makes you think at least for a second, if you have any level of inquisitiveness, you'd be like, oh, okay, what the hell is that? As you said, Chris, I think a lot of people immediately jump to the conclusion that this is just a Trojan horse for socialism. This is our sneaky way of bringing socialism into the fold. And that's not it at all. Mm-hmm. All we're asking people to do is, it's so simple, is celebrate what capitalism has done but let's not rest on this celebration. There's a lot more it needs to do. Mm. And so how do we bring in, and as we've talked about already, mm. I think two just perspectives that have to reemerge, and that is long-term instead of short-term and stakeholder-centric instead of shareholder only. Mm-hmm. And that that's, that's, and I'm a simple guy, being from Indiana, <laughs> uh, I like to make things simple and that's not to minimize any of my fellow Hoosiers out there. Uh, but I'm a simple Hoosier and uh, it's the Midwestern ethos. Yeah. The practice of capitalism is, is long-term stakeholder orientation. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like do great business and build something for the long haul. And as you build it, do your best to reward everybody that you need and actually you need to actually help you build it. Yeah. Don't trade off. Don't steal or, you know, uh, minimize one to maximize the other. Funny, because I think if you pulled like, you know, business owners, right? If we just went up and down the street here and said, hey, can we grab you for like two minutes, Mr. Business Owner, Mrs. Business Owner, Miss Business Owner, uh, you know, what what would you say is like fundamental to keeping your business going? They'd Mm -hmm. probably say, well, you know, taking care of everybody, right? Because that's how I, that's how my business works runs it's people that make it happen and yep. it's people that purchase the products and services it's people that supply all the things they need it's people who provide the capital for you know continuing um and then they would say you know having a vision right now whether or not most of them have it that's another question uh in my experience it's a little less so but they all want it right they all need it they want to see where they're going they want to try to project out they want to have long term a long term view right like mm-hmm. This is this is for my benefit for the long term, not just something I'm just kicking around for six to nine months and then we'll see where I am. Yeah. And that's, I think, kind of just that's why I love conscious capitalism, because it's so fundamentally basic. It's just it, like it's simple. It's just it's just good business. It's, right? just, it's just good business. Think about like what would make a good business. And you're like, well, take care of everybody. Yeah. 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 Have a long term perspective, like yeah. have a vision and yeah. try to achieve it. Yeah. Be sustainable. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's like no duh. Yeah, well, it's like uh, 
goes back to and that it's whole... a, it's uh, sorry, Chris. Go ahead. We have to give it a name, so we might as well call it conscious capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Like we can't exactly. just it'd be way too simplistic to just call it good business. Yep. We ha- so we give it a brand, we give it a language, we yep. give it a framework, and all of a sudden, you know, it throws everyone off. Oh my God, what is this? What is <laughs> yeah. this crazy brand of socialism you're trying to shove down our throats? Well, actually, no. We just want everybody to act with uh, good intent and do the best they can and take care of one another. Mm. Like, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get off my soapbox. We're all on this spinning blue ball together, whether we want to believe it or not. So we might as well figure it out. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's some. So what you're talking about is, sorry, socialism would seem to solve a bunch of these problems by saying, okay, well, we'll trust the government to do it. The government at least they're elected, right? And they're not. Yeah, that, money. they're never so, corrupt. Right. So, <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, there's never any bad things that happen in government. Right, right, right. Right. So, uh, so they all get along. Yeah, totally. Sure. But they work together. They compromise. Let's leave it to them. <laughs> yeah. And there are never unintended consequences never. of legislation. No, you know? no. Um, and they have vision. Yeah, and they're always thinking about what's best for everybody. They do oh, have a lot of vision. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For about, they have about a without much four orgasm. to six year vision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Their well, vision you know, is how they, do I get reelected? That's their vision. They have a lot of vision about spending money. Sure. I mean, they have a lot of vision. Anyway, but you know, so, so, so the, so let's That's say there, there's podcast. that promise. Yeah. We better stop <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. So, so there's this, there's this promise that they, they can make. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, having taught a, Having been involved at with university life, you know, and stuff, you see that a lot. Liberal universities, it's it's the government can solve it, right? But it's, it almost seems like the only way the, the the only way we're gonna we're gonna have uh, give capitalism a fighting chance is if is leading our way out of it, right? We, capitalism has to lead its way out of it mm-hmm. because we basically have to say, all right, well, you guys want you guys want more morality, right? In business, you guys want people caring about the right things. So you're willing to turn to the government. Well, why don't we lead that? You know, why don't we do that in a way that, that, why don't we create that vision? Right. And then compete with, you know, with, with socialism in, in that way. Right. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm just saying, it feels like the only way forward is to, is to, is to have people be better and you have to teach people how to be better. That yeah. was the whole like liberal arts, you know, endeavor was, at least a big part of it was how do you, how do you live? How do you function in a free society? Yep. And so that you don't become so corrupt that the government, because the government will, of course they, they want to solve it for us. If we, if we, we can't be moral, there are plenty of people in government who will help us be moral. They'll, well, they'll make the decisions for us and they'll make the laws and they'll make the. Yeah. It's interesting though. There's a whole, there's a really big gap between what's legal and what's moral. Mm. There's so, that's a huge gray area. I would make the argument that businesses can absolutely do right by the law and still do less than what's morally achievable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge delta, which might be a discussion for a whole nother time. But there are plenty of businesses out there that can follow the law to the letter of the law and still not be operating at their highest sense of morals. Mm. There's a, there's, that's a gray area. There's a gap there. There's a Delta. Right. To me, law is one thing and you can run your business to the letter of the law and not break laws, but you can still in your heart of hearts, 
mm-hmm. you can still be doing what is not in the best interests of your stakeholders, your employees, your customers. You can still do bad things without breaking the law. Mm-hmm. And that, that's it's just a really gray area. It's super murky. And we need leaders that are willing to look at the law as like, okay, that's just table stakes, right? Like, okay, yeah, of course we're not going to break the law, but how are we going to operate, you know, thousands of feet above it because our sense of morals and ethics guide us. The law doesn't guide us. We have a much higher bar of the way we're going to operate. It's not required by law. It's required by, by me as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a different that's a different set of rules mm-hmm. and it's, it might be different for every single person yet businesses that form around a set of values and a, and a culture that emerges from people operating at their highest sense of morals. Though to me, those are the kinds of businesses that I want to be a part of. Those are the kinds of businesses that are led by people that are going to lead us out of this temporary funk that we're in and this uh, attack on capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's the kind of, I think those are the kinds of places too, that are super attractive to people to want to work there right? and be a part of that. Yeah. Right? yeah. It feels like, good. This is a higher purpose. Yeah. There's a, there's a cultural norm that is far above that kind of baseline. Like, well, we just don't break the law. Yep. Right. Yep. There's, we're not going to operate at the lowest common denominator. Almost like if the law wasn't there, they still wouldn't. Exactly. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. The law becomes irrelevant. Yes. They wouldn't stoop that far down to even get to the point where they're like, is this breaking a law? They're they're playing at such a higher level that worrying about breaking a law is like, boy, they would have had to have fallen way far down to even worry about that. Mm -hmm. They're they're playing a different game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm interested in. So you have a book. Yeah. 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 Elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Recently launched book. Yeah. Yesterday. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Yesterday. Hiring on purpose. Hiring on purpose. I love that title. Yeah. Tell us a yeah. bit about that. So a little over two years ago, Max Hansen and I, my business partner at Y Scouts, and this was Max's idea. I think we, we always joked around, hey, let's write a book. It'd be great. And Max clearly wasn't joking. Uh, I guess maybe it was just me joking. And he had met with uh, some friends of his and some folks that had written books. And they had introduced him to a company out of Austin, Texas, that helps people who want to capture their thoughts, their ideas in a book and, and go through that process and connected us with them. We ended up working on an agreement with them. And then over the course of a two year period, just started mm. writing the book uh, with the help of this company that helps newcomers like Max and I to the whole book world actually organize what has become hiring on purpose. And the intent behind the book actually aligns beautifully to the purpose that Y Scouts has, which is to connect uh, people to work that matters mm. and really transform the way people and organizations are are viewing this whole employment transaction and moving away from a transaction to a relationship. And with the majority of our adult lives spent working for it to be anything other than a meaningful opportunity and a meaningful existence is just is a missed opportunity. And as an executive search firm, helping one leader at a time is awesome, yet that's going to take a really long time to achieve some sort of a, even a small ding in the kind of impact we could have. And so we thought, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea 
to capture our learnings to date put it in a book and then just give it to people and Mm -hmm. let them begin to take from what we've learned, particularly as it relates to hiring leaders and making sure you get the right level of alignment beyond just the resume job description fit, which is still an important element. There there are parts of the hiring process that that didn't go away. Mm. We just really spent a lot of time through trial and error adding, well, what are the other pieces that also matter that are often lost during the hiring process, but then found like six months after you've hired the person. And then you realize this guy, this gal, they're a really bad fit for us. Mm. How did we miss that? It's getting to that stuff early on and ensuring that you put a really big focus on that the same way you would on somebody's resume. Mm. And it took us two years to, to capture all that and go through that process. And finally, yesterday, the book launched. And that's uh, awesome. I got an email this morning that it has has hit a bestseller status on Amazon. That's awesome. Sweet. Congrats. Yeah, super cool. That's awesome. Um, I don't need uh, clap track. Yeah. <laughs> Make our own. I wish I knew exactly what that meant. Uh, not the clap right. track, the, 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 the bestseller status on Amazon. I'm assuming it's a really good thing. So, yeah, yeah that um, sounds good. I would hope so. Yeah, I would think so. You know, Amazon, as I've, I've heard, I've I've never been on the site, but I heard they sell lots of books. So I think they do. Yeah, I've heard among that other they sell things. a few. Yeah. yeah, yeah, among other things. Among other things. And their desire. I, I recently, total side tangent. I recently heard that uh, Jeff Bezos put out some statement that their long term goal is to ensure that every single product available in the world is on Amazon.com. They certainly certainly appear to be heading in that direction. They're getting there. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. That's just crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting too is I, I looked this up the other day for some completely random reason. The number of publicly traded companies on the New York and NASDAQ exchanges today is somewhere around 35, 3,700 total companies. Hmm. About 10, 15 years ago, that was north of 17,000. Yeah. So we've basically, we're, we're a, the NASDAQ and the, the number of public companies were a fifth of the size. The public markets are a fifth of the size in terms of the unit Quantity. volume. Yeah. And what's even more interesting, so there's a whole, there's something interesting in that. Yep. The, pers- the market capitalization of the, God, I forgot what percentage of those 3,000 companies, but the market cap of like the top 10% is 150% of the GDP of the United States. (laughs) So like you look at Google, you look at Amazon, you look at Facebook, uh, you look at Apple, you know, the big four, and there's clearly a few other companies beyond them, but Mm -hmm. just those big companies that are like the big ones, Mm -hmm. their combined market cap is one and a half times the GDP of the United States of America. It's fascinating. So while we've lost a whole bunch of publicly traded companies, either they've been, likely most of them have been acquired by Google, Amazon, Facebook, (laughs) or Apple, like the concentration of power that is moving towards a very few companies is in some ways also a capitalism problem. Yep. Mm, you look at Amazon, capitalism it is. If, yep. if Amazon achieves its mission of every product yep. available can be bought through Amazon, that's, that's great for them. That's, that's not, not good for really, the consumer. No, that's it's terrible. Not good for the consumer. It's terrible for, I, mm. 
And it's not good for the producers. No, it's bad. Because they're beholden to that marketplace. Yeah. Um, At at some point, it's like basically a de facto government when it gets so big big that it makes the big decisions. When you don't have any option other than to buy from one. Yeah. So it's a total monopoly on everything. Yeah, right. It's a, it's, listen, I mean, we're, well, I don't know how far away we are from Amazon achieving its mission, but at the rate they're going, uh, probably closer than we think. Well, maybe they'll at least give us uniforms and party party <laughs> cards. We could be like a, a member of the party, a card carrying, and maybe the um, we'll all the, be Amazon Prime members. Their, their their own version of the Politburo. Aren't we all already Amazon Prime members? Yeah, we pay them for it. It's like a tax. <laughs> it's like a tax. That's interesting. What's going on? We've been assimilated, but it's, a, know it's it. a choice. Yeah, I think that's why. I think some of the a lot of the questions around like internet neutrality and and the ability to spin up new businesses in this marketplace that can compete with Amazon. I'm confident in a in a fairly open market that there'll be some great competitors to really kind of start nipping at the heels of Amazon in some of the ways that they haven't really taken care of customers. I don't fully buy like I think there's a there's a world in which Amazon can live and operate and still have this grand vision and yet still have, you know, freedom and choice. And, you know, I, I think that's coming as long as, you know, we allow for the systems that aren't required to develop these new ideas and new companies mm. are, are left untouched or, or, or fairly you know, intact and intact yeah, still and, available and, and available. So um, it'll be really interesting. I think the next 10 years is going to be really telling us to whether or not the big four, uh, I love Scott. There's a, kind of marketing pundit and he's a professor of marketing at uh, NYU Stern, Scott Galloway. He just wrote a book last year called uh, The Four Horsemen. Mm. And it is about Amazon, uh, Google, Apple, and Facebook. He would say the fifth horseman is Microsoft, but, and how dangerous those four companies are really to like democracy and to the ability for, you know, people to have choice. Yep. Um, It'll be really interesting to kind of see like, you know, how do we deal with that? Uh, and I think that is an intrinsically a capitalism problem. Mm, yeah. Uh, it's to some degree capitalism that built those companies. And so the question becomes, how does capitalism deal with it? I think it's a lot more nuanced than that personally, but you know, I think there's a lot of cronyism involved in the background, uh, that we don't get to talk about as much. Or yeah. That's, about. that's kind of the, uh, you know, sort of the the joke that's likely being played on all of us is we have no idea what's going on. Yep. We really have no idea. Yep. <clears throat> and we live in our own little worlds and our yep. little worlds are mostly great. And what's happening in the backdoor rooms of all these massive, or- we have no idea what's actually really happening. Yeah. I mean, you could, there's, maybe we're better off for not knowing. I don't know. There's it's, some intrinsic stuff that you can see very clearly, not least being that like every one of those companies can walk into almost any city and demand basically millions tax of dollars free, in tax incentives. Tax free real yeah, estate. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. say, which is to me totally asinine. And I get yeah. the idea that it's good because it creates jobs. But they're already so damn successful. Yep. Like, just pay your fair share of taxes for the level of success you've achieved. Yep. Like, exactly. Do you need more of an incentive? Really? Like, just how about come in, be a great corporate citizen, create the jobs because you can, because you've built a better mousetrap. Yep. So come create jobs. Do you really need millions in tax incentives to operate and put your... It's interesting that states 
in the United States of America, we are all part of one country, end up fighting with each other to land companies and start just throwing insane incentives at the Amazons of the world to come operate there. And we're turning our states against each other Mm -hmm. in these short-term wars or battles to land companies when at the end of the day, these companies have such a huge opportunity to just step up and do the right thing. And listen, I'm not Jeff Bezos. I don't know what it's like to or his CFO to have to write a check for God knows what the corporate taxes are. It's still pennies on the dollar compared Compared to to what they're doing. Yeah, it is. It It, is. To me, it's kind of stupid. But well, it's especially when a state has really high taxes, like where I come from, and then you know, so all the small businesses get taxed at this, you know, the normal rate, which is high, maybe. And then a big company comes in. It's like, oh, comes okay, in we'll make tax free. Yeah. Well, why don't you just? Uh, so to me, this the problems on the state side as well. Like, why mm-hmm. don't you just charge taxes at a rate that is competitive for everybody, everybody. including small businesses, right, right? Not just like make right. these arrangements for the big. Well, then you can't give away free tax dollars to the big businesses. So you got to make it up with all the small ones. That's yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, tax tax the the poor, and and it's not. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it's the same politicians who are advocating a lot of times for, uh, f- you know, for. The, the little guy they they in one side of their mouth they're saying you know it's all about the little guy what's um so so switching topics though because we only yeah. have a couple minutes left what about the uh conference so yeah tell us about the conference and then why well like why arizona real quick it's well it, I, I liken winning the bid to host the conference like a city bidding to mm-hmm. host the olympics uh, it's it's a really big deal. Now, granted, I mean, it's not the Olympics. See, I thought it was a, a, a like a talent competition where you had to walk out in your swimsuit at one point and then play a violin. Could you imagine if Scott McIntosh had <laughs> to walk out in a Speedo for the bid to win the Conscious Capitalism Conference? That would be something. I'm trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, we love you. We love you, Scott. We do. A lot. Keep your clothes on. Yeah. Yeah. No Speedos. <laughs> um, it's a big deal for a number of reasons. Uh, one, we're going to host, you know, hundreds of people that are coming from around the globe who are already well on their way of figuring out how can they lead their business at a higher level and begin mm-hmm. to restore and then continue to elevate the brand of capitalism. Speaking of brand, mm-hmm. we have this amazing opportunity while these hundreds of people from around the globe are going to come to Arizona to shine a really, really bright light on what's happening here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. This, as we all know, living here and working here, this is a very pro-business state yep. and we'd like it to stay that way. We've got a uh, you know, regardless of which side of the political aisle you're on, Arizona's pro-business. And that's a good thing, at least as business. Hopefully every business person would say it's good to be pro-business. All it takes is a few Theranos examples to come into your state, take advantage of the pro-business friendly environment that would then swing the regula- uh, regulation pendulum to highly regulated instead of moderately or, or, or you know, loosely regulated. And that's why I think it's so important that we all operate above the law at this mm-hmm. higher level of, of ethics and morals so that we don't even skirt the line of watching or tempting that pendulum to swing to an over-regulation kind of a uh, rule over the land. I don't yep. know, I'm struggling for how best to describe it, but hopefully that made sense. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have hundreds of people here, shine a bright light on Arizona, celebrate the capitalistic system, ask ourselves the all-important question, how do we continue to strengthen and elevate it, and uh, just really 
meet a group of amazing business leaders from around the world that are really, they're, they're hardcore capitalists and believe that to Chris's point that it is, it's this group that's going to lead us out of the mess we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Business is going to lead us out of this. We don't believe it's going to be government. We don't believe it's going to be nonprofits and not that there's, I'm not bagging on government. I'm not, we need government. We need somebody to set up the rule, property uh, rules, property rights, rule of law. We need nonprofits to care about the things that they're so passionate about. And we need business to create sustainable, profitable businesses so that they can pay their tax dollars to the government for them to do their job and give some charitable philanthropic love to the nonprofits for them to do the job that they're uniquely suited to do. And everybody gets to play their role. But Mm. business to me is the tip of that spear. Mm. It creates value. People only buy what provides them a better sense of whatever it is they're trying to do. And then you make profit and that profit, then it gets reinvested in the business and you keep creating, Mm. keep creating, keep creating. And the whole system works. Amen. It's great. Yeah. I'm excited for the conference. How can, how can people find out more about that? So the best website to go to is conference.consciouscapitalism.org. Conference.consciouscapitalism.org. It's April 23rd through 25th at the Sheraton Wild Horse Pass Resort and Spa down in, it's actually Phoenix zip code, but I always think of it as down in Chandler. It's right off the I-10 down near Ahwatukee. And it's going to be an amazing three-day learning event, connection event, Uh, Governor Ducey speaking, Mm. John Mackey from Whole Foods Market, and just a whole host of amazing speakers, both keynote speakers as well as the the, the breakout and learning lab sessions. It's going to be a really great event. Also, Mike Jones is going to be there and he will sign your cast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that came up on a previous episode, I think. I got talked into that <laughs> i mean if mike jones is going everybody listening to this has to has to go uh has i'm excited go. that brian's gonna be there i will I'm be really there. excited about that totally and a whole bunch there. of other conscious chris you're going. friends i I'm saw going. your name on the registration karen are you going yeah Woo. yes they're gonna be Karen's podcasting or yes engineer. that's even better look at that that's awesome. Everybody. Right. It's going to be like Max 6 South, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a big Max 6 be party. A yeah. Strong contingency. Yes. yes. I feel like that should be a plan. That should be a plan. <laughs> um, are we out of time? We're out of time. We're out of time? Yeah. Is there well, anything else, Brian, that you want to plug or you got coming up that you want to let people know about? Um, no. Cool. Not Conscious Capitalism Conscious Capital. That's the big, that's, that's what's it. happening. Yeah. Conscious capitalism is what's happening. Cool. And then hiring on purpose on Amazon. Yes. People can you, find that on yep, Amazon. Yep. Hiring on purpose on Amazon and conference.consciouscapitalism.org. Come to the event. That's Come awesome. on out, Arizona. We need you there. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening again to AZ Brandcast. This is Mike Jones with my co-host. Chris Stadler. And our guest. Oh, my turn. Yeah, Brian Moore. Brian Moore. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Should I do it? My Brian Moore. <laughs> yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah. There we go. Like a voicemail greeting. That's awesome. <laughs> you reach a voicemail of Brian Moore. <laughs> we clearly had a good time because we're all laughing. Yeah. Hopefully, you're laughing with us too. If you want to find out more about our show, check out azbrandcast.com. Be sure to get signed up for our newsletter on there so you don't miss a single episode or any yeah. updates. If you like listening to our episodes, check them out on iTunes or Stitcher. 
or Google Play or wherever you like to get your your podcast from. We're on all of them. And how many stars should they give us? Five stars. Five stars. Unless there's six, and give us six stars. Yeah. I don't think any of them go with six. They yeah. should though, because yeah. our our show is we six deserve stars. six stars. If you feel like four, fine. <laughs> if you're a little disappointed, you can give us four. We'll allow that. So five stars, five stars, five stars, five stars. Give us five stars. Um, and four, if you, four stars would be a guest deduction. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Minus what? one for Brian. No. Oh, man. No, no. I think five stars because of Brian. Because of Brian. And uh, check us out. Uh, be sure to hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or are we on anything else? I don't think we are. Because who is? Yep. So thanks, everybody. Yeah. Oh, and a special thanks to our producer, Karen Nowicki of oh, Phoenix yes. Business Radio X and our gracious hosts here at Mac 6. Yep. And we are looking forward to our next episode next month where we're going to be having Sam Pagel on. Sam. We're oh, really excited Pelican about media. that. Pelican Media. Sam's yep. awesome. We're going to have a great conversation with him. So okay. And remember, and remember, everybody, you are remarkable. Remarkable.